Welcome to Erotic Awakening with Dan and Dawn, a weekly view of all things erotic. From BDSM to erotic spirituality, from swinging as a lifestyle to simply fun kink, each week we bring you a diverse offering of erotic and alternative lifestyles in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics. This podcast is intended for consenting adults over the age of 18. If you are offended by this type of content, we recommend you stop listening right now. So we have been sitting around chatting with Andy and Sue, Mm -hmm. and um, they've put together this uh, roadmap of both from a dominance view and from a submissive's view, and it's about values and it's about maxims, and we said, shut up, stop talking. I'm going to hit the record button and now say everything all over again because this is really neat stuff. So first off, guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. And um, we ran into you guys not too long ago in Dallas, and Andy actually showed me a copy of, of the Mind, Mind Map. map. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think he's been in contact with you a little bit talking yes. about it. Right. And the idea is that, you know, a lot of times on the podcast, we talk to people, we say, you got to develop your needs, got to develop your wants, got to develop, you know, what are the core principles that are interest, you know, value to you. And you guys have kind of taken that idea and run with it a little bit and developed it out a little, right? Right. Because, you know, usually needs and wants, we're told we need to have them, but not how to get them and figure them out. So, you know, I like the idea that you guys have run with that. What's you? We like it. <laughs> so, so start us off at the beginning. How did you come up with the idea of the mind map and of developing these uh, the roadmap? Well, I've been accused of being over analytical, and that <laughs> um, I wanted to a little bit to figure out what was really important to me. I wanted my protocols to really matter, and uh, for me, power exchange is about. The submissive themselves to what I believe in and understanding that enough and behaving in a way that represents me and represents what I stand for. So before I started writing those kind of protocols, I really wanted to understand what I stood for. Mm-hmm. What my personal credo Um and how to go about doing that, I had no idea. So I sat down with a, a very long list of just random values uh, and started going through this methodical process in mind map. So that from the mind map, I could then write paragraphs and write my credo. So I did that, and that's... The mind map that Andy actually showed you is my personal mind map of what's important to me. And it's not what society says. It's what really is important to me. And the different branches help describe what the main branches are. So on my main branches, I have things like honesty or courage. The branches of that or the nodes in mind mapping terminology are all things that describe what courage is for me and then write a lot of protocols. They make a lot of sense to me and I can direct 
a submissive in how to behave. Uh, the example that I, I like to use is respect is very important to me. And under respect, I have proper behavior. And then further under proper behavior, I, I have courtesy. So I can write the protocol that a submissive is going to be courteous. They're going to say please and thank you. They're going to open. And I hold that as important because to me, which is very important to me. The other thing that I find is I'm more likely to reprimand for it because now you're disrespecting me. You're not just forgetting to say please and thank you. So, <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> so from the dominant point of view, uh, from the... That, that happens to us all the time. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I thought I'd pause. Uh, so from the dominant point of view, it, um, it really allowed me to say this is what I'm going to stand for and therefore anybody who serves me submits to me or anything else these are the behaviors that I want in them and here's how I'm going to um, into who to represent who I am because to me that's a lot of what power exchange is is they represent me and I wanted to understand what that was Sure. And it's, it's really interesting because a lot of times, you know, we'll tell, you'll hear people say, well, respect's very important in the community or respect's very important in my relationship. I want to make sure that my submissive or my slave acts in a respectful manner. But you've actually taken that and broken it out into, well, what does that actually mean? What are the yeah. qualities of respect? Yeah. I, uh, when we first started this, I, I used to call this the Granny Smith Macintosh because, uh, I, you know, I always say, I would say to Andy, go get me an apple. Substitute the word apple for show me respect. And, and he'd come back like a wonderful submissive with this wonderful, green, crisp, tart apple in his hands. And he would serve it to me and say, here you go, my love. And I'd look at him and go, what the hell is that? That's not what I wanted. Because in my head, I was thinking red and juicy and sweet. So he would get frustrated saying, but I gave you what you wanted. Uh -huh. And I was saying, no, you didn't. And we find that happens a lot in a lot of relationships, not just in kink, but you com commonly hear people say, well, he doesn't. And he says, well, what do you mean? I don't respect you. I show you respect in all these. So this really helped identify. Hey, I understand respect. It's like the five love languages. Mm -hmm. um, my screen just lost on me. So I also wanted to better understand how Andy saw these words and how he saw respect and if respect was even important to him uh, and what other things might come up on this for him that was important. So I asked him to go ahead and do this, the exact same methodical process that I did. Right. And he came up with what, uh, how it benefits the submissive side. And he came up with the, seeing how it can help identify the needs for the submissive. Um, 
Did you? Wanna... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for me, it, when I what I saw out of this and came out of the, when I saw this, it looked at me. I I saw, wow, this is me, and this is this can help me see where my needs are as a submissive and define them better, so I can say, here's what I need done to make me feel better as a person. Uh, you know, and how I can and how the dominant can address those needs in a way that I will understand, um, which is something that's very difficult to do as a submissive. We, we don't, don't know how to do that. We're not given that tool. Right. So on the submissive side of things and how we present a lot of the information on the, in the workshop is we use Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, uh, we like to give credit where credit is due, and the the understanding my values came from reading Dr. Bob Rubel's book, Communications 402, and another book that we shamelessly give a chance to get is a book by Peter Masters called This Curious Human Phenomenon, and if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It is such a good book. We always say it should be at the table of every munch so a new person can read it. But basically what he says is we do what we do because we all want to feel penetration. And penetration? No, yes. No, <laughs> not that kind. Not that <laughs> kind. But the idea that penetration is to be felt and deeply and, and to know that you're being felt deeply. And one of the quotes from his book that we use is um, in our workshop is he basically says, uh, if it wasn't about the, you would have a little place and people using CD players for humiliation. So Which, uh, say the quote again, please. Um, Oh, you know what? Well, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> oh, okay. Because oh, no, we the uh, audio cut out there for a second, so it, it came out really weird. Oh, okay. Uh, one of the quotes that we like is, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but Peter Master says, if BDSM wasn't about the penetration and wasn't about the other person, then we'd have a bunch of flogging machines out there and people using CD players for humiliation. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. So from there, on the submissive side, we kind of go into, you know, penetration is is a deep connection, and it's, um, you know, it, it's it's something that is kind of a, well, it, it's what Maslow considers to be a, a peak experience. Right. Yeah. And the quote, which I do have in front of me, and I will gladly read that we use in our workshop for the submissive side from Maslow describing, actually, I'm not going to tell you and maybe we'll ask you what you think. But the quote is feelings of limitless horizons opening up to the vision, the feeling of being simultaneously more powerful and also more helpless than one ever was before the feeling of ecstasy and wonder and awe the loss of placement in time and space with finally the conviction that something extremely important and valuable had happened so that the subject was to some extent transformed and strengthened 
even in his daily life by such experiences. Wow. Wow. So if you didn't know who that was by, what do you think that was talking about? Oh, I mean, it certainly sounds like, you know, you're, you're looking at, it could easily be an MS presenter of some sort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't when know who. We, <laughs> when we did the workshop, a lot of the submissives said subspace. Uh-huh. Right. And it's actually what Maslow considers his description of peak experiences, which he says happens, I guess... It should explain Maslow's hierarchy of needs a little bit. <laughs> well. Um, Maslow did the study of his hierarchy of needs to try to figure out what motivates we all desire more. We, we strive for more, for better all the time. And it's a human trait. And he wanted to understand why we did that. So he came up with a pyramid of needs. And the base level is the physiological. So just life, blood, yes, sex is on the physiological side. Um, moves into things to protect you from the elements. And is it family next? <laughs> I'm not uh, sure, but I, I know it builds up to um, self-authenticity near the top. Yes, so, self-actualization Yes, and being authentic is at the very top. So it goes love and belonging, so family and friends um, and things like that. And then esteem, so mm -hmm. achievement, self-respect, respect for others. Then it moves into self-actualization. So his theory is that your deficiency needs have to be met before you can move into self-actualization. So from a submissive point of view, they're basically saying to a dominant, take care of my deficiency needs. I'll give up complete control of my deficiency needs so that you can, so that they can live in self-actualization, so they can experience those, those wonderful peak experiences. Hmm. That makes um, sense to me. That's, uh, that's like creating the safe environment so that we can be our vulnerable selves and totally let go. Yeah. Exactly. I like that. And that you're, you're going to be taken care of. Right. Now, this strikes me as a little bit of, uh, this is a lot for a 90-minute class. Do you guys do this as just a normal, you know, one-hour presentation or a 90-minute presentation? No. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Not yet anyways. We're trying to figure out how to chop it into 90 minute, into one-hour or 90-minute presentation. We can introduce it. And talk about um, the idea of from the the submissive side identifying your needs and the idea that you're whether you, it's a scene or a life um, a submissive is asking a dominant to take over their deficiency needs even if it's for a half hour scene they're trusting that that dominant's actually going to let them breathe right sure, sure. long enough to live. Um, so yeah, we can do it from an introductory, but normally what we do is a weekend workshop where yeah. we'll present the material on the one day and go through the process because it is a very methodical step by step and how you do it to get to the mind map 
is the most important part. So we walk people through how to do it and how to create the mind map. And then we sit with them and talk about what does the results mean? What, what picture have they painted? It's kind of like we explain to people why they want to flip through the magazine of words and pick all the different pictures. And then they put the collage together and we sit and say, okay, tell us about your picture. And, and through that, they can better figure out who they are. Yeah. I guess I'm going to ask this question, even though the answer is already on the tip of my tongue, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is this something just for people that are just getting started that are new to their relationship? No. No. I want to do this with my teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, We're finding with with new people, it's a lot for them to wrap their head around. Okay. From a new person's point of view... To be able to understand what they're really looking for. And the other wonderful thing is if you've already done it, you can then ask a potential dominant or submissive to do it themselves. And then sit down and compare it. Talk to each other. I always use the example that um, when Andy first did his, he struck communication off his list altogether. Like just... It was nowhere on his mind map. And, and for me, communication was so important. So I said to him, I said, what the hell do you mean communication is not important to you? <laughs> and he looked at me and said, You know how often I call my mother and my brother. <laughs> so it's not that important. <laughs> it's, not, it's a different definition of communication. And that's... And, and, and part of, as we said, where this comes from is uh, Bob Rubel's uh, book, Dr. Bob Rubel's book on communication. Right. He's, you need to talk about your values. Um, but where do you start? Uh, you know, if you take values as a list of values, you have, there's over 300 words that you could use as words to start talking about with your partner. <laughs> about where this part of this process gives you your picture brings it down to a smaller list that gives you a place to start as to what to compare your values between the two of you. Well, the other thing that I like is that you break down each of these values into uh, definitions. Like, um, you know, like, uh, I'm trying to think, like loyalty and uh, integrity. They've also got their little nodes, like you said, you know, that actually break those down into definitions. And I know that's one thing that Dan and I talk about when we talk about needs and wants is to make sure that you agree on your definitions. So when you share these mind maps, you get a better idea of what the other person's thinking of when they say gratitude. Yeah, and it, it can be very tricky. if e- English, is, of course, is a crazy language to start with. So if you say, you know, that uh, accountability is very important to me, and your partner says, oh, yes, yes, very important to me, too. If you don't understand those words and have an understanding of what they mean to each other, then uh, it could lead to... Uh, conflict. Conflict, <laughs> a variety of conflicts. Yeah. It's, it's like, don't bring me a Granny Smith when I want the Macintosh. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Even though I said, bring me an apple. Right. right. Yeah. Um, uh, very cool, very cool. I like this. I do, too. So, um... Thank you. 
We like it. <laughs> well, okay, so one more question for you, if you don't mind. Okay. Have you ever had people that have gone through this exercise and then... Have... I was afraid to ask that question. Go ahead. <laughs> what were you going to ask? No, go ahead. I, I want to see if you, your mind is mapping the same way mine is. That um, they, the dominant and submissive shared their mind map and realized they were totally off of each other. That's where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had that happen where their values ended up being totally different? At this point, we have to say no, but <laughs> only because uh, this is relatively new. It, this isn't something that we've been doing. Uh, we've only presented a few workshops, so we uh -huh. don't have a lot of test to go on. But hopefully, yeah, I would like to think that that did happen for somebody, or it will happen for somebody, and it'll save them. Now, that's not because I'm not sadistic. Okay. <laughs> but because if it will save them the frustration of constantly trying to, to make it work, well, there's a Makes sense. And the other thing is that is you do have to look at the pictures. Um, the mind maps, Sue's mind map and my mind map do look very different mm -hmm. visually. But when we start analyzing it and looking at the the details of it, we actually do align. It just you have to do the analysis of it afterwards. You can't just look at the picture and go, these two pictures look completely different, and and we don't get along. You have right. to actually have the discussions and determine whether those incompatibilities really are, are, are there. It's a, it, it's, it's a starting point for discussion okay. and it does make it a lot easier because it gives you a better picture and, and better place to start for your, your discussion as well. Right. And at least words to work with. Cause I know I, I talk in emotional language <laughs> and emotional language does not always uh, translate very well to um, intellectual language. <laughs> Really? So to, yeah, so to have words in front of you would be great conversation starter. And I know we asked this question because this was one of the hardest things I feel like that Dan and I had to do when we were starting our relationship was writing down our needs and wants separately and then coming together and sharing them with each other. And putting them into a perspective of maxims and values. And, mm -hmm. Well, this would have been really handy about 10 years ago, by the way, guys. <laughs> For, for yeah. people that want to get started on this, uh, how do they find out where you guys are presenting this workshop or or to get more information about you guys? Uh, well, you can find us on VetLife. Um, um, I'm Sue Price, S-U-E-P-R-I-S-E, -E, all one word, and not Sue Prize. <laughs> like so many other Canadians want to make it French. <laughs> <laughs> Like, right. Kill it's but anyways. Uh. And I'm and I'm Mr. Bit, Mr-Bit, M-R-B-I-T. Okay, fantastic. Well, really interesting, guys. I hope that um, if when next time you present this, you'll keep us in mind. I would absolutely love to see Dawn and I go through something like this, and mm -hmm. uh, we can look at each other's mind maps, and I could tell her I'm right and she's wrong. <laughs> That'll be well, fun. Well, have your friends together, and we'll come that way. Ooh. <laughs> we, we can do that. After Ooh. the snow's gone. <laughs> the snow's gone. This <laughs> never leaves. Yeah, this is Ohio. There's don't don't count on not any kind of weather not being here. Well, um, keep in mind we're in Canada too. So well, not too, but we're in Canada. So 
<laughs> bit of a culture shock to come back from Dallas. I oh, I bet. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today, and uh, thanks for cluing us in on the um, on the project that you guys are working on. And I hope you have a lot of success with this. I think uh, a lot of people go into relationships just. We're in love, and that'll fix everything without taking an opportunity to look at who they truly are. And uh, I think this will give people a great foundation to get started. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Thank okay. you, So, Dawn, I'm going to find out where tentacle sex is on your mind map. <laughs> Did you get that squid, by the way? Oh, no. <laughs> we would have brought one to Dallas. <laughs> Sometimes the best stories are those that revolve around increasingly impossible scenarios. For some readers, there is nothing better than being able to live vicariously through fictional characters and their sexual exploits. Today's book, Three's About, by Harmony Squire, is a fun sexual romp in the hay involving competition amongst three women and one paramour. All three women fall head over heels for this man, scrambling for his attention and affection with amusing results. Complicating matters, two of the three women, Penny and Kimberly, are ex-in-laws, mother and daughter-in-law, respectively. Their mutual friend, Kate, finds herself in the middle of an increasingly complicated love triangle, trying to sort out her feelings while still being a dutiful wife and mother. The story itself is fairly short, only about 70 pages when I read it on my iPad. Nonetheless, it is packed with hot sexual scenes, mostly of the heterosexual persuasion. Nonetheless, it is packed with hot sexual scenes, mostly of the heterosexual persuasion, but with some female bisexuality thrown in. I mention this point as this tale is fairly tame in comparison to a lot of erotic fiction. Though the book doesn't jerk away from descriptions of sexual passages, it does tend to focus on a vanilla standpoint. I would classify this book more of a bodice ripper than an extreme explicit tale. However, this aspect makes it perfect for those who want a tame erotic story. It is a fun, easy read that is ideal for an afternoon on the beach or whilst traveling by plane. Sometimes the most mundane tale can be the most satisfying.
Well, I guess everyone knows how we commonly use the word fetish, uh, which is usually described as just uh, an erotic preference behavior, shall we say, as compared to what the clinicians call it, which is just an obsession with an object. Those of us um, who have the smoking fetish really, well, seeing as I was born in 53, that puts me back in the era when smoking was massive. And in my opinion, after a lot of soul-searching, I found out that it really is embedded us in us early in life as part of our learned emotions. <clears throat> it was many years, I mean decades later, that I actually discovered that there was one other person on the planet who liked this, and that was around 1993. I'd already been shooting some small stuff with an idiot camera, you know, point-and-shoot type stuff, and I just wasn't satisfied with the way the smoke looked. Because each of us have our preferences. You mentioned a gentleman who enjoys smoke in the face and in the mouth. That's just one of the many permutations I've heard of from the thousands of guys I've spoken to. Uh, my particular preference actually is, is watching a woman speaking while exhaling. It's the nature of the smoke itself I find erotic. Uh, and the woman's behavior, her patterns. I mean, I have a very, very deep love for, um, oh, let's just say women with an attitude, you might, particularly those who like to be a little on the, the cool side. But I love glam, too. The uh, Being raised right outside New York, I mean, in that era, women didn't go out, you know, and granted it's sexist, but they didn't go out of the house with curlers in their hair. Uh, they always looked good. And there was something about an authoritative post-World War II woman that was just hot, was that a good start? That is a great start. So if you were trying to explain to somebody what a smoking fetish is to someone who had no clue, like myself, about what it was, you know, is there, is there an easy way to summarize a smoking fetish is? Oh, it's, it's relatively simple. Uh, if a person has a fetish themselves, the, the guys who like um, lingerie or heels or big bosoms, big asses, uh, particular styles of hair or clothing, uh, shoes, those individual fetishes all have variations underneath them, obviously. You know, they're all subjective. The person, individual, likes a certain kind of thing. Well, the smoking fetish is the same way. Uh, to me, it's a behavior. For one, there are groups of people who love it because of the bad girl image. I like it because of the authoritarian and... Uh, individualistic, I-will-do-what-I-want attitude. Others like it for a variety of reasons. Some guys prefer cork-filtered cigarettes. Some want white-filtered cigarettes. Some will only love um, amateurs at it. Other ones will prefer individuals who can do smoke tricks. For example, um, I'm sure you guys have seen others smoking, but you probably have not seen things like, say, the snap inhale, which shows a great volume of smoke prior to being inhaled. Uh, there are French inhales, which sometimes women have amazed me at the amount of smoke that they can actually translate up through their nostrils and still continue to breathe. Uh, the number of variations are incredible, but it's all that behavior as that one viewer defines it that they find erotic. Uh, did that help? Oh, Absolutely. Is there anything about it that's in more of a BDSM sense? 
any more of a... Well, using uh, the smoke in a power, or, well... I'm trying to figure out how to ask the question, too. So, it's, um, so obviously, it's a fetish, and you said that you like how it makes the other person look authoritarian. So, is there any um, uh, dominant submission involved in it? Any BDSM? Any something oh, like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, for me, there is. I do love the glam. Uh, and when I say glam, I mean like the 1950s glamour. The veiled hats, gloves, the entire elitist look. But for me, uh, a woman doesn't need leather, although if you go to the website and look at the videos I've done, the entire bottom half of the video list is dark side videos. Uh, I am, well, my set life <clears throat> moniker is masochist. Uh, for those that are listening, that's M-A-S-O-C-H, capital K-I-S-S-E-D. Uh, and, I mean, you can take a look at some of the work that I've got posted there. Uh, you know, it's obviously out and aside from the website. But BDSM, yes, I like the idea of a woman that's authoritarian. And I, part of that is due to, I think, the way I watched women being treated in that era, coming from what was partially an old Italian Catholic neighborhood, um, women were usually subjugated. And I didn't particularly care for that. I like an egalitarian society. So to see a woman who was authoritative enough or uh, self-confident enough, I should say, to express herself by doing whatever she wanted, that intrigued me. That, That showed them to be at least my equal, and I don't mind surrendering to an equal. Not the least. Okay. Nice. Makes sense. Now, one of the terms that I've heard, and I'm not sure if this is part of the smoking fetish or not, is human ashtray. Is that part of this fetish? Oh, yeah. Yeah, matter of fact, um, that's one of my favorite pastimes. Uh, an individual, an ex that I miss greatly, um, used to thoroughly enjoy using me as one. It was an expression of her, uh, you know, sense of control. Uh, human ashtray, certainly. I've had cigarettes put out on me, uh, in me, swallowed, which you must be cautious about. Uh, there's a limit on how many you can swallow, and admittedly, it's not a, a pleasant thought for most individuals, cold turkey, uh, but ashes, I mean, you have to realize after being burned at about 1,600 degrees are pretty sterile and usually just a little bit of salt. So it really is kind of a a delicious little sideline in the smoking fish. You can see more. I mean, I don't want to keep plugging the site, but if you went there and looked at the videos, which you can do for free, um, you'll see the the shots of me being used because I was principally the victim in almost all my work. I'm a little one-man operation, so, you know, the things we suffer for our art. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, a little bit of it's confusing to me, you know, having a cigarette put out on you. But if I if I switch around the thinking, God, that's that's fire play, that's submission, that's branding, that's... Wow. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and, and see, most people think of it in terms of, all right, the, the idea of having a cigarette put out, that used to just thrill my ex no end. That was an expression okay. of her, her sadistic delight. But uh, for most of us, 
most of the time playing, she would use the coal near the skin, coming closer and then a little further away to see, to extend the duration of the torment and give it better control instead of just, you know, smoking your cigarette and then slamming it out. Putting it out on you is kind of the, the end of the, of the session. But if you look at it from a standpoint of let's play with the heat, you can go on forever. Yeah. Nice endorphins. Nice endorphins. I imagine so. So it combines all that stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, and think of the, and think of the teas, too, on those occasions when we'd be out somewhere. I mean, this is, of course, you know, when smoking was not anathema. Um, she could light a cigarette and just with her, you know, one little glance turn me on. I mean, <laughs> you know, and do this in a perfectly public venue without any kind of little, you know, anybody else even spotting it, unless they knew me. Yeah, so that's a little easier to do than pulling out the old rope, rope bag in the middle of the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So, Ed, one more question for you, if you don't mind. Sure. How would, would if I was, if I'm listening to this podcast and I'm really excited about this and I want to learn more about it, um, what, what advice do you give people who want to get started in something like this? Okay. Uh, you know, I would say simply go online and type in smoking fetish. Uh, I tried to explain a great deal of this on my site originally, and, uh, I've always been open to talking to people about it, hence the, the, all the calls I referenced earlier. Go on and type in smoking fetish and look it up. I mean, there's actually a clinical term for it now. Uh, there's obviously a lot of, well, forgive me for this, but tons of copycats out there. And there's just so much data to be had. Um, try and find something a little bit more on the intellectual side in terms of the information, but that'll take you back to fetishes in general. Of course, you can always, you know, poke around and see what it is that you like most. Uh, those individuals who are still feeling alone, because I swear by all the powers, uh, the first four or five years, the first phone call I'd get from everybody, the sentence out of their mouth was, I thought I was the only one, which is exactly the same thing I thought for 40 years. Um that's why I was so glad to finally feel some validation when I found other people who liked it. By pure accident, I fell into this, this business, so to speak. But hopefully I've helped others feel like they aren't alone either. Okay. That's, that's perfect. And it's obviously, if people want to see more of, uh, see some smoking fetish videos and find out more about you, they can head over to colights.com. Right. right, or they can call me even, um, you know, as long as they're careful of what hours it is, because sometimes people get a little carried away. Uh, my number is 619-402-4963. Okay, fantastic. All right, Ed, well, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Very much, hey, it's, it's great for, uh, well, for me. I've been around for a little while, and I've learned about a brand new thing, and it's always a, always a pleasure for me. Well, I'm very glad to have been had, so to speak. Uh, good luck with your day. Okay, thank you very much, Ed. Sure thing.
So, Don, recently a friend of mine said that they had a virus on their hard disk, and I told him, go get a shot of penicillin. <laughs> but apparently that's not the deal. And with all people running around on the Internet nowadays, apparently it's not as safe as I think it was. So, fortunately, we ran into uh, Cryos, who understands this whole staying secure on the Internet. Cryos, you out there? I sure am tonight. Good deal. So, uh, thanks for being on the podcast uh, my understanding is that um, things are not as safe as they look. Uh, most people run around the Internet proverbially naked, and it's usually not <laughs> a good thing. So is there any, like, danger of heading over to a site like FitLife and Collar Me? Uh, what's the kind of things I have to be careful about if I'm over there perving around? Well, a lot of times, well, the biggest source of infection for most people Ironically, is porn. <laughs> Imagine that. And, and nobody that we know would ever go into that stuff, right? Oh, no, never. <laughs> Nor would their teenage kids on their laptop. Exactly. <laughs> and their work laptop at that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, porn is notorious for it because what happens is the bad guys know you want it. So they give it to you for free, but they give you an extra little bit to their payload than what you really wanted. Not mm. quite. So are you talking about from, like, going to sites or from pictures? The payload or from... you expected. Ten, ten years ago, you used to have to download a file, open it up, and make it run. Now, all you have to do is open up a web page. It requires nothing more than going to the wrong website. Well, that's a little scary. Yep. That's like picking up the wrong hooker. No. <laughs> uh, well, they are tested in Vegas, so the theory is that's why you do that. Ah. <laughs> so, so what do you mean going to the wrong site? Are you saying I can get a, a virus by going over to FetLife or Collar Me? Uh, those two sites specifically, no. But if you mistype Collar Me or you mistype FetLife or you mistype any number of other things, yeah. It becomes exactly that. Your your computer now becomes what they call a zombie, and you are now working for the greater good of whoever's pushing the buttons that's not you. I don't know that I like that. <laughs> Most people don't even know what's happening. So for clarity's sake, what you're saying is if I go to the wrong website, you know, but my, I've mistyped in FetLife and I went to Life or whatever. Right. That's all it takes for my computer to be at risk is just going to their site. That is entirely possible, yep. So how now, we... there are some ways to fix that. One of which, for attacks like that, you use a pro they're, they're all using what they call scripting languages. So basically what happens is your computer is trying to execute a script that's running which is as geeky as it gets, but if you're using Firefox, there is a plugin called NoScript. Now, NoScript can break a few things, but at least you know it's running. And if NoScript is running and you go to that website, and they, you are far less likely to get infected because of that, because the NoScript will actually stop the script from running altogether. Hmm. Now, it's not an antivirus. It is not a program that stops and detects antivirus or stops and detects viruses. But it is a program that will help you a lot when you're surfing. And if I remember correctly, there's an extension for Google Chrome that does something similar, and I'm almost positive there's one for Internet Explorer. 
Well, let's let's dumb it down a little for people sure. like me. I mean, I don't know about running plugins and scripts and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I just want to go look at porn if I want to look at porn. <laughs> Is there anything I can do on on my computer side to make things safer? Make sure your computer's up to date with the latest and greatest software and antivirus. Um, if you're running a Mac, there's a beautiful little program called Little Snitch that will actually pop up warnings when it starts going to sites you've never seen and it's starting to activate programs. Oh, did I tell you that a Mac can be infected too? Aww. Yeah. And that's nice. So <laughs> Little Snitch is a great little program that will tell you whether you have or haven't been compromised. Um, you can do things that are a little techno and a little geeky, but there's some ways to check and see if you've got a root kit or anything like that on a PC box as well. But the fastest and the best thing you can do is make sure you are running an antivirus. I don't care which one. Not a big fan of McAfee and Norton, but I like some of the other ones. But make sure they're up to date running and have them on your system. You know, you don't want to run around naked on the internet. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've noticed sometimes when I go to, uh, or when friends of mine go to sites like Call or Me, <laughs> and they put in their email, like say they're writing to someone and they put their email address in the text of the message, there's pop-up messages that say, hey, that's not so safe. Is there really anything to fear from that? Uh, well, what that is, is that's just the script writing what you're writing. So it's the, as you do searches on different sites and systems, they actually will pop up different messages because what they're doing is they're actually just reading what, they're actually taking what you're typing and just searching on it in the background. And they're delivering ads based on that. And the best, the best thing that the bad guys can do is scare the hell out of you so that you click on their link, in which case now they just downloaded your antivirus to you that, isn't an antivirus. It's actually a virus. Oh. So the little yeah. message is, you've been infected. Click here to clean it up. Is actually yeah. an infection. <laughs> it is exactly what it's trying to tell you. It's not that it huh. is. Mm -hmm. It's that whole reverse Polish notation thing. Yeah. I'm not. Really, I'm not. But you're, you're infected, so you need to clean it up and spend $79 to me mm -hmm. ASAP. And in which case, you just funded their whatever endeavor they want to do, be funded for. <laughs> what about a site like Second Life? Is it okay to run around on something like that? I hear it's pretty popular. Uh, you know what? I don't know. I think you can run around naked in Second Life. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 but Second Life is a quarantine kind of area. I mean, it is, it is pretty much its own little world. And it's relatively safe. And anything's relative as long as you don't type in to life or something like that. And again, it, it, the biggest thing is, is pay attention to where you're going. Another thing that there's a beautiful little trick that if you've got the current, most current versions of Firefox and Internet Explorer and stuff like that, if you actually look at the top of your Firefox and Internet Explorer, you actually see what the domain name is in highlighted colors. So if you mistype Microsoft, it'll actually say that you're not on Microsoft. Hmm. Okay. Kind of like and there that. There can be a whole bunch of garbage before and after, but it'll actually highlight the part that says Microsoft. Hmm. So it kind of gives you a little heads up. It does. 
Okay. And if you're not on Microsoft, go, oh, crap. Yeah, it's taking you somewhere else. Yes. Now, the other proverbial adage, don't click on things you don't need to. Yes. So don't be click happy, and for God's sakes, don't believe every email that comes to you that says my bank has given you warning that you're overdrawn. <laughs> um, if you're overdrawn, your bank won't ask you for their login and password. They know it. Right. Actually, they probably don't know it, but that's beside the point. So don't give it. Yeah, yeah emails can be kind of tricky. Yeah. Don't yeah, they've got it crafted so bad, so well now that you can't tell the difference. There's been a couple of them. I will actually have to look at the code to look at it and go, "Oh shit, they did a good job with that one." Yeah, well, especially when it's disguised from people you know. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's the point of this. I mean, the the most closely guarded people that we want to talk to are the ones that are likely to infect us because they're the ones that are sending me this. All it is is just a URL, and it's especially with the uh, the new URLs with the shortened URLs now. Mm-hmm. You can't tell what the hell that site is, right? So if you click on it, we don't know where you're really going. Hmm. So you really want to watch those sites. I don't click on them, and there are ways to actually go to websites. If you're if you actually think that it might be a website you want to go to, go and copy that URL to one of the expanders because there's a couple URL expanders out there that will actually make that full size and go to it for you. Oh. And tell you what the real site is that they're going to. Okay. I didn't know that. And there's a good probability if it's a bunch of random numbers, letters, and junk, you don't want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> Those are kind of fishy looking right off the bat. Right off the bat. So is the key to my safe surfing and emailing and banking and all that. It sounds like the, the big thing is to have a good um, antivirus software running. That's a good portion of it, but 99% of it's more diligence than anything else. If you pay attention to what you're doing instead of just going and clicking for the random sake of clicking and you keep your computer updated, that's the best you can really hope for at the moment. Because you've got to figure the antiviruses are actually running several days to weeks behind Mm -hmm. the infections. So nothing's really 100%, but... Well, no, it's 100% if you lock your computer into a cement vault, throw it in the bottom (laughs) of the ocean, and never touch it. It's pretty damn secure. Nobody's going to get to it. True. Not very usable. True. But very secure. So, no, but, diligence. You don't work that way, though. No, no. Can't get much work done that way. No. It, it makes it rather hard. So, antivirus software, diligence, watch when and, you click. Yeah, watch what you click. Use programs like NoScript, which are fairly easy to install. They're, they're pretty easy. If you just Google NoScript, you should get a good indication of what you're looking at. And it's fairly simple. Um, that may be enough to save your save your computer's proverbial life once in a while. But again, you could it can break some websites because a lot of sites use scripting. Okay. But if you're running the no script, you can turn it on for those sites. Oh. So if you know okay. you, if you know that Color Me doesn't work because it doesn't look right anymore after you do the no script, 
Well, you can go in and tell no script to ignore the fact that you're on Caller Me, and it will ignore that it's, it won't run there. So you can use that. and so But you just want to make sure that you open it up to the site you know you want to do that for. Okay. So uh, one more question for you, if you don't mind. All you like? Is there really a best browser? Because I've been watching the browser wars for a while, and I still use Netscape. I admit it. Don's looking at me. She doesn't know what that <laughs> I don't is. believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Netscape. Yeah, um, that is all a matter of personal preference, to be honest. Um, there isn't one that's any better than the other. It is purely a matter of preference. Um, I'm a computer tech by trade, and I still use Internet Explorer a fair amount. I use Firefox more, but it's because Firefox has more of the things I actually want on it, including syncing between different computers. So there's a lot of Firefox that's a little nicer, but because Firefox has a big enough market share, they're now a target for attack. So you can have things that are websites that are specifically crafted to work on Firefox where they only used to work on Internet Explorer in the past. And I will say this, Internet Explorer has done a very good job at getting much more secure between version 6 up to 7. 8 came out and now 9 is coming out and it's pretty tight. I mean, nothing's fail-proof and nothing's foolproof until you get a better fool. But it's a lot cleaner than it used to be. Okay. I may have to give it a try again because I went totally Firefox. So. Yeah. Eight and nine are pretty decent. Okay. Um, Firefox works well. Again, it's what you prefer. Right. They all do the same thing. You type in CNN or Google and guess what? You go to CNN or Google. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's the hope. So, So my understanding is that you actually teach a class about uh, for kinky people about internet safety yes and the reason is is because there's more to what we do than just the standard oh crap i got a computer virus there's a lot of people in this lifestyle that can't be out and about they can't be up front with everybody well guess what if you have various infections and you have various problems you can be exposed in ways that you don't expect to i mean what happens What happens if your laptop's sitting there at mom and dad's house because you went to visit and you left your computer open? Now, all of a sudden, they see all the pictures that you downloaded and looking at. <laughs> oh, crap. You mm-hmm. mean they weren't supposed to see that? You know, there are personal private pictures that people take. Never happens in our uh, particular fetish sides, right? Oh, um, yeah, no. <laughs> that never happens, right? Those don't accidentally get released on the Internet, right? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> now, how hard would that be to do if that particular file was encrypted? Hmm. A, lot a whole lot harder. Yeah, now, absolutely. Encryption, encryption is still one of those geeky things, but it's not that geeky that reading a few minutes couldn't figure it out. And let's face it, we've got stuff to protect. That's why we're in this. I mean, not everybody does, but jobs can be compromised for this stuff. Right. You know, I'm in a very military-oriented town. This stuff can easily compromise your job. It can kill a security clearance in a heartbeat. Not a good thing. Nope. Not at all. 
So how can people get a hold of you to either uh, to find out more information or to have this presentation uh, done for them? You can contact me on FetLife. Um, it's Cryos VA, K-R-Y-O-S, V-A, like Virginia, dot com. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, dot com. I'm so used to that. It's like, okay, uh, just Cryos VA on uh, FetLife is the easy way. But you can also use the same email address at Gmail. Okay. So both of those work really well. Easy enough. All right. Well, thanks for talking with us a little bit today about Internet security. I would keep talking to you, but I just got this really interesting email about penis <laughs> enlargement, and i got to go look into this right away. Go ahead, as long as you use no script and don't click on the link. Okay. <laughs>